Welcome to Bale Street. Hosted by Danny Moses and Ira Juddelson, this is the show that takes a larger-than-life look at the world of crime and finance. Learn more and subscribe today at BaleStreet.com. Welcome to the inaugural edition of Bale Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Juddelson. This week on Bale Street, we're going to talk about why we're doing Bale Street. We're going to be interviewed by our famed producer, Matthew Passy. We will be the guests this week, therefore. We will have guests from time to time that will be a wide variety of people, from criminal defense attorneys to rappers to people Ira's help put away, helped get out, help put away again, help get out. <laughs> people in my world, hedge fund, that also went to prison. And put away, put away, come out. <laughs> the likes of Michael Lewis, who, who I know very well. He's written about this subject matter at length. And our special segment today, which can be anything, we're going to have a crime of the week. So why we're doing Bale Street. So Ira, would you like to tell the story of what happened in 2011? Sure, sure, sure. So obviously, uh, Danny and myself are uh, having dinner at a uh, restaurant in Scarsdale. And I have a flip phone. With our wives. Yes, with our wives and two other couples, I believe. And I have a flip phone and the phone rings. And of course, you can't hear anything inside. And I step out and it's from fame attorney Ben Brofman. Ben is one of the most high-powered powered attorneys in all of New York. He will be a the, guest on the show. At some yes, point. we'll get Ben on the show. And Ben, obviously, is a, a representative called me and told me that there's a major case going down in Manhattan and that someone from the IMF has been taken off of a plane over at JFK, DSK. That's how the initials they use for me. I actually thought it was a serial killer out of Kansas City. But uh, <laughs> so, I, that, so, I'm, so at dinner table, he's taking the call. I'm hearing only his end of it. He hangs up the phone and says, I got to leave. And I go, what, what, why? And he literally says, the head of the AMF was just arrested. And I look at him and I look it over at our friends. I'm like, why is the guy, I didn't know there was a person that runs the bowling a, league. I no, I, bowling, I, bowling league. <laughs> and I go, Ira, what's the guy's name? He goes, Khan, DSK. I go, Dominic Strauss Khan? He goes, yes. And that's when I realized that that was a major incident because the U.S. had already been recovering from the economic crisis, but the Europe was a mess, the world was a mess. It was 2011, and he was the one orchestrating the bailouts. And you actually asked me, you said, do you actually know who this guy is? Do you know what he's going? you know where he's going right now? He's probably <laughs> headed to Greece to give millions of dollars to bail him out. I said, oh, so going somewhere exotic, I said, he's not going anywhere right now. <laughs> I got the call that night, and, and the next day, obviously, you, uh, you wanted to take a ride with me down there to find out what was really going on. And we went down there. And uh, it turned out that uh, it, it was one of the biggest cases in, in media history. I mean, there were people from France, and there were people from England, and there were people from all over America coming in. All different types of uh, press passes were, were, were being issued. And I went down there, and originally we had a bail in place. And uh, obviously the bail changed within a couple hours. And uh, it went from bail to no bail. No bail meaning remand. In my world, remand means you don't get bail. And uh, we then turned around and went home and we figured out that we were going to have to put a bail package together. Who's we? Myself. Yeah, well, Ben, another attorney by name, Mr. Taylor. And obviously I started dealing with uh, uh, Dominic Strauss-Kahn's wife, uh, Anna St. Clair, and people in France. And uh, I didn't realize how powerful Anna St. Clair was and where she came from because obviously she's from the Picasso era. 
the paintings. That's where I believe the, she made uh, or came from that type of uh, family. And we finally put a bail package together, and uh, we didn't even know if he was going to get bail. We put electric monitoring together. We put home security. We worked on trying to get a place for him to live, which I had to get involved with. And finally, after about a week, we finally got a bond on him for $6 million, which I, I wrote, got Mr. Khan out the door, and realized that I think our world started to come together. So, How- right. So I was talking to Ira nonstop about this. The, the market impact wasn't that big. They're already talking about replacing him at the IMF. He was talking about running for, had been talking about running for president, president of France. I was obviously out the door. So it was more interesting because it became a pop culture thing. And Ira did manage to get... To, to convince a judge, I remember, to provide bail. And then Ira is the one that got him a, an electric uh, monitor. monitor so that he could get this place down in the village that Ira found. The whole thing was insane. Um, so then, so that was a time where our worlds collided. And then we realized that every time that we go to dinner with people or meet people, they want to know about what's going on on Wall Street. They may ask me about a stock or a situation. Um, and if you remember back in that, at that moment, the mortgage crisis had already hit. And uh, the movie hadn't come out yet for The Big Short, but the book had. So people used to come to me for kind of housing questions or questions like that. And they would come to Ira for every time there was something in the New York Post or Ira was on TV or they were just interested in whether it was a mafia bust or a rap bust. And so alleged mafia, alleged mafia. (laughs) Right, exactly. So we decided at that point in 2011, I was between hedge funds uh, to make a tape and we did back in the day and it was about 30 minutes long yes and we never really did anything with it and we said oh we'll put it on the back burner and I went back to work and you were still working and fast forward again I'm between funds again correct not doing anything you're still working but this time I think having the movie had come out your book has come out yes. called The Fixer Fixer um, there was a second Michael Lewis book called Flash Boys which I'm featured in uh, about the flash crash which we'll talk about it in future episodes so anyway we love each other's company we think we have a lot to offer well, I, I also think, Danny, if I can cut in for a second, is that people don't realize about your world, about Wall Street and, and, and my world of crime, which possibly people could see on the TV show Billions today, how it always collides. But when we go out to dinner, both of us being obviously type A personalities, our world's People want to know what's going on. They want to know what's going on in the world of crime, which, you know, I'm in. And they want to know what's going on in the world of Wall Street, which you're in. And, you know, our worlds collide all the time. I just like to know what rapper got busted so I can, at your next kid's party, I can know who's going to come up and sing in retribution. Well, we so, we, we, we can right. do that. All right. That's always good. We can figure that out. Exactly. So we'll, we will, uh, we're going to try to do this podcast as frequently as possible. Our target is to get it to weekly. Correct. So after a short break, we're going to come back, and Matthew Passy, our famed producer, will interview Ira and I as the featured guests of the week. Welcome back to Bale Street. This week, Matthew Passy, as I mentioned, our producer will be interviewing Ira and myself. With that, I will turn it over to Matthew, who can give you a quick background on himself, why he, why in the hell he chose to do this with us. He's got to be. And then maybe ask us a few questions. Just, if he still chooses to do this if with he, us. We, have, we haven't figured out if Matthew's going to come back next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Well, uh, definitely not next week. Maybe the week after. All right, we'll, we'll try it the week after. Well, I mean, I was excited to work with you guys. I had worked with a mutual friend of yours, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, on his podcast, and Best Like the Best. Heard both of your episodes. We put Patrick on the map, by the way. 
Oh, really? Both of us. You bailed him out and you yeah. hit him on the investment ideas. <laughs> I think our segment was yeah, the largest I was episode 32, you were 40. I think yeah. he was well on his way. Go ahead, Matthew. He was so. doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the two of you just have a unique brand. And I think the, the best part is really, like you said, how your worlds merge together. I think there's, like you said, our, there's a lot of people on Wall Street who are interested in knowing what's going on in the world of crime and the underworld and, and you know, things like that. And, of course, everybody wants to know what's going on with their money. Danny, so it's it's really good. You know, people want to know about both of your separate worlds, but Bale Street is going to be more than just a podcast. I mean, you really want to take this brand lots of different places. So, you know, just share with me really quickly where are some of the other places that you want this to go? What you know, what's going to make Bale Street a household name beyond just this awesome podcast? I think as a franchise, as a branding episode for Bale Street, uh, we we envision potentially doing television shows. Sure. Bell Street, Los Angeles, Bell Street, Miami, Bell Street, New York, where maybe there's a certain crime or you know investment idea that's taking place in that particular area. We came up with some good logo wear, yeah. which you guys will be seeing. Looks uh, good. We will have Twitter feeds and Instagram feed. Oh, and uh, I also I also think we're going to be able to have special guests that are going to be combining both worlds. I mean, people that have uh, been arrested in, in your world and possibly coming on the show and then obviously famous rappers or famous people, just regular street people that I've, I've done business with willing to come on and share their experiences and share what took place in their world when it got turned upside down. So in a perfect world, Matthew, we'd love to create a franchise with this and where we can leapfrog into other areas of entertainment with Bell Street kind of as the background and as the brand. so And I think it's obvious that there's obviously a lot of, not a lot, but there's plenty of folks on Wall Street who face a judge for various reasons, and they've got to call someone like Ira and get bailed out. But I'm curious, how often does someone who's receiving bail have an impact on what happens on Wall Street? You know, if someone like, say, uh, you know, CEO of a company or, you know, as you were saying before, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, like how often does somebody going to jail have an impact on equities, bonds, debt, things like that? No, it can have a massive impact because let's take the CEO of a publicly traded company. Uh, they get into some type of issue, whether it's it's something they're doing outside of the company or something they've done inside the company. They leave abruptly. They may even commit suicide. I mean, we've seen that happen several times. The first thought on, from Wall Street investors is they're cooking the books at that firm because why would someone e- either get arrested for something? So it's shoot first, ask questions later to make to long story short. And so the stock is going to get killed that day. So you need to be prepared for what's about to happen. And in that time period, trying to figure out what this executive did or did not do can make, you know, make millions or lose millions in that. The second would be a fund manager who goes through the same process, gets arrested over the weekend in the Hamptons, or there is something else that's even more major, and he runs a $5 billion fund. The first thing you do is look at the holdings of that fund and knowing that people are going to assume that every, every stock is going to be sold off in that portfolio because every investor is going to redeem out of that fund as soon as possible. That's more likely than a company ended up ending up going to zero unless there's books being cooked. So take the Bernie Madoff situation, for example, okay? He never had any real securities anyway. So there was no, quote, impact on any particular stocks that people could find. But from a unsettling perspective and $40 billion disappearing overnight, that had an impact on the market because people thought, wow, people are going to have to sell other securities. So it was just one of these things where people did not know how widespread it was, how deep it may have been. So there's times where it's, it's a one-off basis each case, but rest assured that whenever there is something happening that affects a publicly traded stock that you better get your eyes dotted and your T's crossed. Speaking of Bernie, a very good friend of mine is going to be meeting Bernie in the next couple of weeks. He's stepping into Butner. 
to uh, do his uh, time there. Yeah, so he'll he'll go down and talk to Bernie. We'll get oh. some good, good yeah. ideas for him. Could we get him on the horn after? Uh, we could get him before he goes. I don't know if he'll get on right now. I, I could ask him, but he's going to do his, uh, his college bid. We call it college bid <laughs> in my, uh, my business. He's going to go do his college bid down there and uh, meet Bernie over in Butner in North Carolina. Undergraduate degree in basketball. Yeah, he's going to do whatever he's got to do to you know do his time. So Ira, how'd you guys even meet? Like this, you know, two completely separate worlds. How do you even bump into each other and become friends? We met through our kids. You know, we both... Uh, uh, met through our kids at uh, uh, growing um, in the last uh, what about twelve years, and then it was it was love at first sight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we just hit it off. We talk. We you talk can see business. the romance across the table. Yeah, we talk business. <laughs> we talk sports. Our wives are best friends. We're best friends, and uh, and our kids are close. So, and then we vacation together, which is utterly amazing when you see us vacation together. Because when we both get on the phone, obviously, you know, I'm, people want to <laughs> know is why what, the wives are so close. You right. two are constantly working. We're right? working. I'm on the phone. <laughs> trying to put something together and Danny's trying to you know basically sit Unless there the dice are hot <laughs> exactly and that's a great story too in yeah. itself which we talked about uh, we'll definitely have to bring that up in a, in a future episode so Ira tell us a little bit more about your world how you got into being one of the largest bail bondsmen in the country well obviously I got started in uh, 1997 it's a long story I wrote a book called The Fixer available you, for yeah, sale now right it. now on uh, <laughs> Amazon and um, it, you know I got involved in it turned out that I had a long lost relative in the industry who who got me involved and uh, we took a small company we and we made it big I became the largest sole proprietor in the country and uh, it, that's how I got started. I went door to door and to get the most uh, powerful attorneys in the industry. And uh, now um, they're on my uh, speed dial or I'm on their speed dial and, and their Rolodex. And uh, 24-hour business, always up. Uh, I have what is called a insecurity when I don't answer the phone. want to make sure I always answer the phone for my attorneys or clients because, you know, you hear my clients are calling me at all hours of the night, vulnerable, scared, not knowing what to do, calling me. How does this work? How do I get out of jail? What do I do? Don't say a word. And it goes on and on and on. To that point, uh, a lot of people who, uh, hopefully they don't have to call someone like you, but what does it feel like? What are they facing? What you know? What is that feeling of having to, you know? You're talking about people who sometimes literally have it so together, whether, you know, a Wall Street guy uh, who gets a DWI and he's got it so together, he's in that, you know, that $3,000 suit and that $25,000 watch on his uh, on his arm with his $100,000 car and in a split second his world turns upside down and he's calling me or his wife's calling me or his attorney's calling me or someone's calling me and he is now broken and I'm I'm there to fix him and get get him out, get him home, get him you know obviously his attorneys you know put him to back together and uh, get him back in his regular life until the day comes where either he's gonna either go to jail, not go to jail, take a plea, whatever it might be, and and, and move forward. I was sort of taken aback when you were talking about Dominique Strauss Kahn about helping him. Find an apartment. I mean, you're really holding these people's hands throughout the whole process. I, I, I've, I've mentioned it in my book before, and I, I'll mention it again that I, I am not just a bail bondsman. I'm an employment agency. I'm a social worker. I'm a rabbi. I'm a priest. Now, uh, a podcast host. A podcast host. <laughs> and you basically, you know, people think in my world, oh, he does the bond, the case is over. Oh, no, no, no. It just starts when that happens. And I am, I was holding uh, Dominic Strauss Kahn's hand. I was holding his wife's hand. And, you know, basically, no one wanted this, this gentleman in their arena so we had to try to find them a spot to live what is the strangest thing that someone's put up as collateral I once got a couch 
um, and uh, it wasn't so uh, comfortable. I took that. Um, I've actually, <laughs> I've actually taken a city medallion, a taxi medallion. Those used to be super huge. Valuable. Yeah, now they're done with Uber. Yeah, Uber's done. So worthless. that's that. Um, you know, My dad I, doesn't want to hear that. I mean, listen, I've I've called Danny on on where people put up their portfolios, and I said, Danny, is this worth anything? Well, he basically says, Well, you're gonna have to freeze their assets, do this, do that, brokers. I'm like, Okay, you know, and you know, he says, But this is what it is, and then uh, I've taken that and you know I've taken cars and I've taken jewelry and uh, you know down the line sometimes most of the time I don't take anything it's a lot of risk a lot of sleepless nights yeah. and if they're holding the investment of the week it's definitely not worth anything so well it depends what investment <laughs> be, <laughs> be careful right. about that so Danny shifting over to you world of Wall Street and finance and big money and uh, you know being the subject of the big short being supposedly chased by an alligator that didn't happen though. correct that did not happen so how did you get into the world of finance and, and making money I grew up with it. My dad was a finance professor, so I was always around it. And um, I had told a story once quickly that my father promised uh, my sister and I a dog if a certain stock that he owned in his portfolio would go over $10 $10 a share, I think it was at the time. And um, so every day I would open the business section from the time I was seven years old. Every normal kid does that at seven. To look at the stock (laughs) price. And you had had to find it on the back, back of a business section. And it went above ten finally, and he he said, uh, "Okay, twenty. You know, so uh, that was my fir- first major disappointment in life. But uh, no, that's I always had a had an interest in it as a as a kid, and then um, found my way to business school, and then I started working in fixed income, and then after I got my MBA in 1996, uh, I entered the world of Wall Street uh, and was a broker covering hedge funds in 1996 at Oppenheimer, um, and then. 2002 jumped firms and I actually worked for a firm Freeman Billings and Ramsey who no longer exists who was at the epicenter of creating all the mortgage companies that end up being a bust at the end of the day and so I was able to see how the sausage was made from the inside from these subprime mortgage companies which is when Ira had met me in 2005 I was just leaving that firm to go to the buy side to work at a hedge fund which is was written about in the big short front point partners and work for Steve Eisman and watching this whole thing unfold was surreal. So got very lucky in terms of the timing, um, but I felt like I kind of made my luck by working my way up, you know, up the ladder. So what, what was that like watching, being on the precipice of this massive financial crisis, this mortgage crisis, knowing, one, that you could see the opportunity to make money, but two, seeing that a lot of people are going to be in a lot of fucking trouble. That was sick. I remember uh, if I could jump in real yeah. fast, calling Danny, going, "Should I take this house in Florida?" He's like, "Don't you even think twice about taking that house in Florida? <laughs> well, I'll be underwater in six weeks." Every time we, every time we'd go to dinner, you know, from the time I met Ira, I think I met Ira late two thousand four, early two thousand five, or whatever friends we were with, I was already saying, "Short, or not, you're always going to be wrong." when you say short, because you're always going to be early, because you're never going to time it perfectly. Market kept going up, 2005, 2006 kept going up. But it was surreal to watch it, actually. And I think that's where the movie, Big Short, does a great job in showing how it was a surreal and out-of-body experience. It just, all of a sudden, just happened. And we became much more fearful, and that, that was a true part for the world, than we did excited about having made money off of this, because it became, okay, great, now we made money, now the dollar's not worth anything. So what? You know. So what are we going to do with it? Uh, it was scary. So so what did you think the future was going to be like at the time? I mean, did you did you imagine we'd be on this, you know, incredible bull market run ten years later? You know, no. Which is probably why I'm sitting here. Uh, <laughs> I'd still be managing money if I had thought that. Danny but, told uh, me to sell my house for the last twelve years. <laughs> but no, I did not think we'd get here. I think that the, in hindsight, some of the bailouts that went on. Forget about 
too big to fail and bailing out the big banks. Some of the stuff they did was necessary to you know st- stabilize the system. I didn't always agree with bailing people out because I feel like you know people need to learn their lesson and you need to clear home prices at what should be the appropriate value. But in hindsight, I think they did the right thing. However, I will say we could talk about another time on another episode. I still think there are bubbles out there in various pockets that there still hasn't been that moment that everything has cleared correctly. So I think it's sitting in a lot of fixed income investments right now, um, but we won't go into that right now. So I don't think, I think we're through the major crisis and the banks at this point are much safer than they've ever been. So I'm not worried about a bank failing, which was the big issue back then. So things are healthier now from a banking system perspective, but that doesn't mean that there aren't bubbles that sit out there. So I mean, it's just part of the natural market that you know there's ups and downs, things burst. I mean, I'm sure there's a bubble in something real, that rhymes with Titboin. That uh, right, exactly. let's not get into that because I think that's right. So we'll take the best advice from Ira. Okay, I'll let you know where to set the bill. Okay, <laughs> Good, thanks. So just just one last thought on that. Somebody who you know, having watched all that the past ten years, maybe somebody getting early on into their investment. You know, what's the one piece of sound advice? Not the not the stock, not the necessary investment, but like you know, what's the thing that you would tell somebody just getting into the workforce has a little bit of money now? You know, what are you going to tell them to do with their money? Stuff it in the mattress. Go Save do a, go do a typical sixty forty or is there something else that you know nobody's talking about that you're like this is really what you need to do? I am not a financial advisor. I will say that one thing I saw that really upset me at the time was I had a lot of friends that worked at Lehman. I'll use Lehman as an example. Bear Stearns was the other one, and over the years they had worked there, done very well, doing honest jobs there, and they built up a huge amount of stock. And it turns out that their net worth eighty five percent of it was in their company that they worked in. And I always felt, and I even told them at the time, even in Lehman in 2005 or six, when I said, guys, you, you know, you have a great firm over there, I get it, but what we're seeing Lehman doing behind the scenes is a little bit scary. If I were you, I wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. You're already making deep six figures, some seven figures at these places. Why do you need to have all your eggs in one basket? So my advice would be, no matter what firm you're going to work at, no matter what industry you're going to work at, things go through cycles for the most part. Every single company goes through a cycle. Why put all your eggs in one basket? You should diversify out of your personal wealth if if you're already if your wealth is already predicated on you working at that particular firm. I remember you know obviously me not being such an expert in that world. I remember when that uh, when the shit hit the fan with with Lehman and Bear Stearns and I was receiving a ton of phone calls. Uh, Why were you getting a ton of phone calls? People that? thought that they 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 were these are Lehman employees. Yeah, they were going to be arrested. Oh, they thought that yeah. they so they they were luring up. In fact, some were friends calling me, asking me for lawyers, and they thought that you know they were they were going to be taken down. Is there a pre bond process? Is sure. Like, so so what would you 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 think there's a possibility that you're going to be arrested? Ninety percent of my business is people who have their search warrants or executed um, and that they know they're going down. They get target letters from... But but I, I understand the people who know they're going down. Right. If, if the FBI is knocking at your door, there's a good reason that they're there. They're not there just on the whim. What about but these employees at Lehman and Bear Stearns we, nobody got arrested after that. What, what they were scared. They were, you know, they were. You know, so no one got arrested. Scared, I mean, that's that's a whole different story. I mean, Danny could probably go off on that one. How these people, you know, thought they were going to get arrested. I don't know what happened there, but they thought they were getting. I think arrested. what Matthew's asking, and I'll because there's some times where I'll talk to Ira on a Sunday, and I'm yeah. like, hey, what do you got? What do you got going on this week? He goes, oh, you guys tomorrow, do your own little Sunday morning show. <laughs> he goes, tomorrow I'm going to be in court all day. I go, oh, yeah, what's going on? He goes, that ah, hasn't been announced yet, but there's a big arrest coming, and so he won't be able to tell me. 
his lawyers have, so there's sometimes things are I guess pre-planned sure I think well, that's no, what you're asking no 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 that I understand yeah. I understand somebody well, knows they're going to jail sure well what no, I'm saying, they're, they're, going they're not arrested. going to jail getting arrested, getting arrested. sorry I, I understand somebody knows they're getting arrested right they know that they need but what about that person who is worried that they could get arrested is there that, anything that, they could do ahead of time or no just it's, it's almost uh, it's almost like a biopsy <laughs> you basically you're, you're taking the test wondering if you have something wrong with you and that's what could they do yeah pray <laughs> that's number one number two get their houses in order get their stuff ready to give to me such as a deed appraisal mortgage statement to see if they're going to put it up for bail okay uh, so, money so. being you know ready to be reserved to give to me and then after that hey our please help me what do i do how do i go Where, what's going to happen fix this problem for me so the same way everybody is told to have like an emergency escape bag in yeah, case like of a, a hurricane yeah. right like is you know what is that like three-step process the emergency bail steps when they think they get a target letter if they think they're going down if they whatever it's have a point person in charge to say okay if i get arrested at 5 30 in the morning this is what i i need to do you need to get a hold of ira got to make sure that he gets this i i i want to make sure we have it in place i need him in court when this thing's going down i don't want to spend an extra minute incarcerated and you know and boom get me out the door i don't want to be in jail all right, so just like your home evacuation plan in case of a hurricane, fire, earthquake, something like that, have your have your bail bonds ready. Yeah, have, yeah, have your fixer, have your bail bonds ready. Exactly. We're going we're gonna to have, have bail bondsman awareness week after the show. We're going to start a whole new holiday tradition around here. All right, I think that's all I have for you two. Danny, want to take us out? I do. We'll be back right after a short break with our Crime of the Week. back to Bell Street. Let me introduce the crime of the week. I'm going to turn it over to Ira Juddelson. And Ira, who do we have today that you're going to be featuring? And it can be something that you're working on. I am. I'm working on a case right now, um, Pamela Buckbinder. Uh, it's been in the media. Um, actually, the segment was on December 2nd on 48 Hours uh, on Channel 2 CBS. 2017. Yes. And uh, uh, <laughs> Pamela Buckbinder. <laughs> I, I live in Philly now, so Channel 2. I don't get Channel 2, so what did she do? Pamela Buckbinder, obviously, allegedly she's been charged with assault. Um, this goes back to a case from four years ago where a relative of hers by the name of Jacob Nolan, um, I believe their cousins uh, through uh, marriage and um, the uh, Manhattan DA's office is alleging that uh, Pamela was behind the alleged attempted murder of her husband using this young man Jacob Nolan as a, um, a pawn to, to do this uh, uh, serious crime um, was she dating her cousin no, no, no. They were not. They were not um, any type of uh, sexual. Okay. Uh, uh, Are they at all related to the Palin family? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, they're not related. Really right. So, uh, Crime of the week. Pamela, <laughs> Pamela was picked up uh, uh, f- uh, f- almost four years, eleven months later. Um, Jacob went to trial. He hold on. The husband died. Husband, again, let's, let's listen to this, Danny. Attempted murder. If it was murder, it would you be said murder. Assault. I well, that's the same thing in in the criminal procedure. Assault Is and attempted murder. Dead? No, he's alive. Oh, he is. He's alive. Oh, okay. He's alive. Go ahead. Sorry. And uh, she um, was brought into court 
Um, she was on remand status. Uh, we appealed it. Uh, when I say we, the attorney uh, appealed it. A very, very prominent attorney by the name of Ron Fischetti. And uh, obviously it was denied in the lower courts. And now we're in the appellate division waiting decision. And um, again, there is no murder. Um, in New York State, um, the idea of bail is looked upon as far as is she a flight risk. And uh, I believe, in my opinion, it's a bailable bond. She's not a flight risk. There is not a murder here. It's a serious crime. But, uh, you know, she should be able to be out on bail fighting her case from the outside. Did the husband accuse her? Does he... Does well, he, the, hus- the husband is he a witness. The, he will be a witness down the line. But again, Pamela uh, is not the one that uh, you know did the actual crime herself. Allegedly, um, they're saying that she put up her cousin to do. What it. would the motive have been? The DA is alleging the motive to be. I love alleging. Before well, every I have word. to use There's the word alleging. A lot of alleging, yeah. lot of yeah. alleging on the show. This is allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. um, <laughs> that uh, there was a there was a money life insurance policy and also a custody battle, which you know in my world happens all the time. Custody and uh, so money. So what is the bail? Your world. What is the bail set at? Or there is no bail. It's remand, also known as remand. Remand. But what if? If the bail were to come about, what do you we think? We proposed a $1.5 million bail package with an ankle bracelet and home detention. And I think that's significant in New York State to bring this client back to court to answer to whatever charges. Now, hey, listen, if Mr. Fischetti and uh, you know the DA's office fight it out, God bless them. You know, that's what they do for a living, and I'm going to be doing what I do for a living, making so sure she's in court. If it's a million and a half... The fee will be 6%? 6%. And you'll get five of that 6% insurance? Uh, let's not get into my numbers right now. Okay, but 6% <laughs> of the bail, so $90,000. Let's not get into the numbers, as I just, I just said to you. one and a half million times 6%. Well, well I can. <laughs> okay. If I what? All right, just Yeah, that's what it'd be. That's what it would be. He would allegedly get that. Allegedly. That's allegedly. But okay. there's also other things. You know, she has to, you know, have to file a lien against the house. And okay. What happens if you bring her home and she does run? Then um, basically, I am up Shit's Creek without a paddle because now I got to hire bounty hunters to go find her. And then the midnight run segment starts. And uh, but uh, I could start to track her through the ankle bracelet. Ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, when you're on an ankle bracelet, you're not going anywhere. Those things are that tough to get off. Yeah, it takes about two hours to really cut it off, plus your leg. And we'll know exactly <laughs> where you are at that point. <laughs> All right. All right. Any other crimes out there you want to discuss real quick? Or Well, I mean, listen, everybody in the world, when we come back on our next segment, is going to want to know what's going on in the world of uh, Mr. Harvey Weinstein. Um, uh, hopefully, when we come back to do our next show, we'll, we'll know what's going on in, in that world, which is actually a big portion of the world right now in sexual harassment. What's going on with Matt Lauer? What's going on with uh, Russell Simmons? What's going on with Harvey Weinstein? And it, it's, just, it's a big topic. It's a huge topic. And uh, you know, it's something that's it's happening right now. There were, uh, recently, I think I seen in a paper that there was a Court of Appeals judge that is stepping down. Obviously, we talked about Jerry Richardson and possibly what's going on possibly over there. And By the way, I've done a lot of things in my life, but at this point, I could either host, host the Today Show, right. I could be a film producer, <laughs> <laughs> I could own an NFL team. Correct. I, guess I could do all those things because I'm not going to be fired for any type of sexual no. harassment. So I'm clean on that. Absolutely. Other than that, you may open a closet and skeletons will come following. I up, just think good. it is right. utterly amazing. Every day we open the paper, and you know, every day I open the paper wondering if I'm what who my next phone call is going to be from. Is it going to be from somebody in the uh, Russell Simmons? It could be anybody. Hey, Ira, we need you on standby. We don't know what's going to happen. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of friends we follow, you know, celebrity death notices every year. Like 2016 was, oh, this epic year. Of all these this year, it's more about celebrity sexual harassment notices than death notices. Well, like, I, I feel like the, the Oscars is going to feature a film of all these people who just went down that all my, all my Dustin Hoffman movies now, I feel guilty well, watching. I'm wondering, Kevin Danny, Spacey. Hey, Danny, Spacey. Hey, Danny, I'm wondering when the uh, world of Wall Street blows up down there, too, with these sexual harassments, just uh, when they're going to start to come out. Listen, you had a 90% male-oriented business. And it's been going on for years. The culture is probably the worst culture for male-female treatment. And I it was just accepted, I guess, over the years. I've never, like I said, I've never done that. I've seen it. And I'm sure there's been massive settlements more than any other industry that we've never heard of go on. But it will not surprise me to see it arise in the, in I was going to say, future. it's definitely no secret that it happens down there. Plenty of no, women come out of there be. and talk about it. But yeah. right, they... It just gets buried in exactly kind of way, you know. It gets buried in Hollywood for many, many years. Correct, true. And now it's not getting buried. I got buried know, I, in Congress for a long time too. Right? Chickens are going to come home to roost. I'm sure if the market were to actually go down and pay grades started dropping on Wall Street, you would see a lot more. Probably right. So, which is perfect for me if someone comes out and so we're both rooting for the market to go down <laughs> wonderful i'll have no assets though to give to put up for bail <laughs> exactly. we'll figure something out exactly this has been great um we look forward to many more episodes uh with you guys our audience and like i said we will be taking questions from the audience and our fans uh that will be a, a feature on our show live call-ins live calls going forward at some point um and guest yeah. stars guest stars guest stars hopefully uh the next i'm looking forward episode. to the guest stars. yeah me too Try yes. to get some rappers on the air. Try to get some uh, some people I've done business with, some uh, fame attorneys. And we're still under development on, but we do have BailStreet.com. Uh, we will have Bail Street on Twitter. We'll have Bail Street on Instagram. Uh, so we'll be able to catch an episode there. But Matthew will be able to tell you more about that. And yeah, go to Bail Street. Submit your questions that you have for Danny or Ira. Check out the show. Check out the social media. Stay connected with us there. And uh, keep listening to more episodes of Bail Street. Yeah. Also buy The Fixer at Amazon.com. <laughs> we'll have a link to it there. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Bale Street. Learn more and subscribe today at BaleStreet.com. <laughs>